Andy Kelly, pastor here at Water's Edge Church, and we exist to love God and others in Christ. And if you're listening to this right now, I just want to give everybody a heads up that I actually record my sermons on Sunday morning before I actually head into the church. So right now it's like 6.30 a.m. I've been reading over my message, and I just enjoy kind of speaking it out loud, seeing if God has any wind of change as I prepare for Sunday morning. And of course, I do believe when we're together and meet in person, it's a great opportunity not only to hear a message, but to fellowship and to discern together what God may be saying to us. So if you're listening to this message, love that you're listening to it. Would also love if you joined us each and every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. All that being said, let's get into it. Uh, before this message, I asked a question to everybody to describe a relationship that is hard or a bit harder to love right now. I asked everybody to take an opportunity to just pray about that, pair up, and then share with one another. Someone in their life, a close relationship, a parent, child, friend, workmate, roommate, spouse, a relationship that is hard or a bit harder to love right now. And people just took time to share with that. Then I introduced our series, which we are in a series going over the, the book of Matthew, essentially over a year's time. I don't know if we'll get to everything, um, but we're going to cover it um, from start to finish, so to speak, and choose passages within that um, that... Uh, that God wants to use to speak to us. And the whole theme of this series is blessed are the merciful. Um, and it's just our journey with the Messiah. Matthew highlights Jesus as this king, this God who is with us, the one who in the line of Abraham is meant to be a blessing to all nations. And I want to start today with a, a visio divina. I want to have an image, and this is actually the image that you had when you looked at or when you clicked on the screen. The first time I saw this image, I believe I was on a reflection retreat at St. Gregory the Great, which is this, this amazing Catholic church. The architecture is just beautiful. It's a great way to get away and spend time there, just to enjoy just how beautiful uh, the architecture there is. And it's in Poway. And as I was walking inside the space, right beside the confessional, there was this photo of this portrait. And I believe the photo had this caption, the Pope forgives his shooter. And the backstory of that is in May 1981, the late Pope John Paul II was shot when uh, Mohammed Agha attempted to take his life. And two years later, in this bare, white-walled cell in Rome's Viva prison, John Paul tenderly held the hand that held the gun that was meant to kill him. And for 21 minutes, the Pope sat with his would-be assassin, and they talked softly. One or two times, uh, you could hear Agha laugh. At least that's what was reported. And what you know is the Pope did forgive him for taking his life. And in the end of the meeting, and this is there's a second image I show in church, Akka either kissed the Pope's ring out of a sign of respect or pressed his forehead to his hand as a Muslim gesture of respect. I just wanted to like take time to look at that image of this person and their quote-unquote enemy. A visio divina means to sacredly see to allow to be to a divine sight into an image it's an ancient form of christian prayer in which we allow our hearts and our imaginations to enter into the scene so in church we took time to look at this image and, and today as we enter in the conversation we're entering into a fairly well-known section of the Sermon on the Mount, or at least you know this phrase, to love your enemies. Loving our enemies. And I think when we think of this passage, or moreover, think about 
our enemies, I think our tendency is to first instinctively go towards our big picture enemies, whether those are ideological enemies or national enemies. When you think ideological, you might think of a religious figure like Pope the Paul and his one-time fanatical and violent counterpart. Um, it's also easy to think of our national enemies, especially now. Many who we never truly see face to face, and it goes without saying that there is there is an invasion upon Ukraine and Eastern Europe by Russia. This invasion is happening over political affiliations. There's a lot more to the story than that, but I believe in our own Western democratic government, uh, we can easily see Ukraine as our ally and Russia is now, or maybe for some, always has been an enemy of ours. And uh, that might not be the case for all of us. Some of us have a lot of uh, empathy and sympathy towards Russia. And either way, when you consider events like this, one, it's traumatic, two, our lens, the, the glasses that you wear, are one of where we see enemies in our world. And as I continue, I think it makes sense that we would have a moment of silence because on both sides there are those who are protesting violence, those specifically in the church, many in Ukraine who are uh, protesting and want a nonviolent approach to, to seek and reconciliation. And then, of course, there are those in the Church of Russia who um, are protesting, and, and protests there, it's not like protests here. Um, it can very easily lead to jail time. So, so let's just take a moment to pray for each and every party in that situation. Amen. So when we think of our enemies, it's easy to think of ideological enemies, national enemies. However, when it comes to loving our energies, we, what's interesting is once we put the glasses on or the lens on of seeing someone as our enemy and consequently our, our, our ally, it's almost impossible to take those glasses off, meaning it becomes very difficult not to focus on who is our ally and, and specifically who's our enemy in this moment. And that, that happens both from a macro, a broad, quote-unquote, view to our very at-home view, whether it's in our schools, our works, in our hoods, or in our homes. I mean, case in point, our first discussion question is, who are those closest to us that are hard to love? When someone is hard to love, it's easy to consider them to be our enemy, whether it's somebody close to us by physical proximity or by relational intimacy, they can quickly become our enemy. Our friends, people in our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, schools. I mean, I have a friend, a best friend growing up, who I started to believe is beginning to, in a sense, write me off to be done with me. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But after talking with his dad, who's always been a dad to me, th there's been a subtle confirmation that this guy, who I've always loved and always will deeply love, is creating a lot of space between him and a lot of people, mainly over socio-political tensions that we've experienced because of this pandemic and through politics and through the everything associated with that. And um, he and I, sure, don't agree on everything, but we have a lot of similarities. And um, yeah, but the very reason that I belong, 
or that I live in the state of California, I, I, I think has given him like a desire to categorize me as quote unquote one of them, whatever that means to you. <laughs> it means a lot to a lot of different people. And, and the truth is no one can be that oversimplified. And I don't know if he's writing me off, but he's definitely creating space. And uh, it makes me sad because, uh, well, he's my best friend. He's my original surfing buddy. And uh, I'm not the only one. Uh, and I don't, I'm not giving up on it. I mean, there are times where I do feel like I went in my anger and my sadness by losing this guy's voice in my life. And hopefully it doesn't go on. Hopefully it's just a season that I want to write him off. But truthfully, deep down, I just want to hang with my original surfing buddy. That's how I feel. And as we consider the conversation of enemies, it's easy to think of enemies abroad and far away, but we have enemies close at home. They're out there and they're right here. And as we consider the categorization of enemies, I just want to note that it's it's not okay and it's kind of okay. And uh, it's not okay because we have in our sin a natural tendency to demonize others, to villainize others, which is not okay. What is okay is we also have a voice in our life that tells us how we are to treat others, specifically those we categorize as enemies. And that voice is Jesus, if we're listening. And he says it this way. You've heard it said, love your neighbor. That's from Leviticus, Leviticus 19. And hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. I'm not sure if hate your enemies in Leviticus 19. I definitely think... That's just an add-on that Jesus is saying, but I think we need to research that. Yes, it does not say that. It just says to love your neighbor, which is great. When you're like recording in the morning, you can kind of look that up. I can pause the recording, take a look. It's kind of like <laughs> preacher cheating in many ways. Um, but yeah, it just says to love your neighbor, and I think Jesus is adding on, and therefore hate your enemy. At least that's what people are saying. But he tells us, to love our enemies, Matthew 5, 43 through 44. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago when we were talking about angry divisions, that there were enemies all around one another in the first century Greco-Roman Jewish world. Angry, there was the dictatorial Romans who were not only insulting the Jews, but taxing them into slavery. There was also the oppressed Samaritans, their neighbors, who attacked the oppressed Jews, and the Jews fought back. Different Jewish parties within uh, Israel insulting one another over how they were to live and respond. There's national resistance fueled by explosive anger. Fault lines ran through villages, through families, and even through households. And the hatred only compounded. This is a world that Jesus came in, and it's not unlike our world today. We have national, quote-unquote, enemies, but we also have within our own country divisions of how to respond and then we have divisions over those divisions of how we are to react. And that goes through our families. And the issue is, if we're not loving our enemies, I think I need to make this clear from the outset, we're actually perpetuating this system of hatred. If we're not loving our enemies, we're perpetuating the system. Because here's the deal, when we see someone as our quote-unquote enemy, we're actually creating two enemies. The first is the enemy that we've created in the other. This person is my enemy and the second is the enemy that we've created for our enemy. Let me say it again. The second is the enemy that we've created for our enemy. That's us. That's me. When we have an enemy, we've created them to be the enemy, and we've also created an enemy for them who is me. 
We've made them an enemy and we fabricated an enemy for them. The system perpetuates, it compounds. So then a question that we'll ask intuitively, especially when you hear a sermon like this, is something akin to the following. Well, how do we change this adversarial system? How do we change this system? How do we become an enemy of the system of enemies? How do we fight our for our foes? Not fight our foes, but fight for them. How do we combat combativeness? How do we love our enemy that we love to hate? How do we change this adversarial system? That all sounds good and preachy. It sounds right there, kind of sermon. Sermony, is that even a word? But is that even a question? Is that even the question? Let's look at our scripture today. If you can, I'd ask you to stand out of respect for God's word. You have heard it said from Jesus in Matthew 5.38. Continue on. You've heard it that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. That's from Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. But I, Jesus, tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So to give us some understanding of what Jesus is talking about, it's good to understand the Old Testament context to understand somewhat of the old justice that Jesus is referring to, specifically eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This old justice is found in the Bible. It was, it was actually designed to prevent run revenge running away with itself. This old justice in the, found in the Bible was designed to prevent revenge from running away with itself. It was believed to be better an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth than an escalating feud with each other with one side, with each side going worse than the other. This is referred to lex talionis. It's a way to essentially remove an escalation or excessive retaliation and, 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 and push towards, strive towards a standard of rightness, fairness, and justice. Leviticus 24 says, If anyone who injures their neighbors to be is to be injured in the same manner, fracture for fracture, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same energy. injury. This is dedicated to those who is all people who want to, who just want to like exact excessive revenge. This is a statement of right justice. And we can think this statement is archaic, like we're above that, but when we look at what we're watching, we love excessive revenge. I mean, people are cheering on this new Jack Reacher series, which looks kind of cool, but I watched one clip and he essentially breaks the hand of, th of three teenagers or young 20-year-olds who throw an empty beer can at him. It's like that's excessive violence, re revenge. or ja I mean, think of the movie John Wick, which I haven't seen, but I, 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 I know a little about. He kills almost like 100 people because somebody stole his car and killed his dog. It's excessive retaliation. All that being said, Jesus is 
not only quelling the, the excessive retaliation, not only saying eye for an eye, he's going better. He's offering a new justice. This is what N.T. Wright says. Jesus is offering a new sort of justice, a creative, healing, restorative justice. It's creative. It's, it's better to have no vengeance at all. Instead, let's invest in a creative way forward, which reflects the astonishingly patient love of God who wants his people back then Israel, now today us, in this dark world to be a light, salt and light, so that people can see and experience the overflowing love of God, the life-changing, creative, and patient love of God. <clears throat> the problem is we can't do this on our own. When we hear actionable messages like this, it's easy to start taking steps, like how do we change the system? We do this, this, and this. But we really can't do this type of creative and patient love on our own. And when you hear a sermon, it's easy to be like, okay, this is what I need to do, but we can't do it. A message like this requires discernment and more importantly, prayer. A prayer that says, God, I need you to do this. It's a sermon that believes that God works in real time and God can use us and God can change us. That the Holy Spirit is alive and active and can use us to love our enemies. Lord, I need you to take hold of these flesh and bones to fill me with your spirit. It's a, to, to love your enemies requires believing in a, a living and active God. It also requires having a realistic view of oneself. That left to myself, I tend to want to win over my enemies, to beat my enemies, to slander them, to humiliate them, to hit them, to force my will. That's where we're left when Jesus says to love our enemies. And I don't want to preach a DIY sermon, a do-it-yourself sermon. I don't want to preach self-reliance, a message that says you just need to do A, B, and C, one, two, three, because it's that self-reliance that hinders our God dependence. Even as I began this week, I found myself writing a do-it-yourself sermon. Okay, how do we change or how do I change the system? Well, you got to do these three things. You got to wait for some kind of awful interaction, being slapped, uh, being sued, forced labor, then you got to do something drastically nice to make them think, hey, I'm being mean, make, to make your enemy think, wait a minute, I'm the bad guy. And then you, you serve them in order to change the system. You just kind of continue to serve them. And it's not a horrible outline, really, especially if, if you, you are prepared to come to a place where it's like, yeah, God, by your power, I can do this. But left to itself, it can be a DIY sermon when what we need is a a GHM sermon, not a do-it-yourself sermon, but a Lord, a God help me sermon. God, I need your help. How do I change the system? I don't think I can do it. I can't do it by myself. And when we try to do it by ourselves, well, one, we do it out of our own motives to look good, which is actually a good preview of next week's message when we talk about public piety versus secret service. Or we try to do it ourselves, and it's just not sustainable. We don't have the resources to love our enemies like God does. Especially when we're the one who's participating in the system. When we're the one who are creating enemies for our enemies, who is us. See, a message like this requires an internal shift towards God, which then will in turn create a, a subsequent external shift towards others, hopefully in each situation. The real question is not how do we change the system. The real question is what does God need to change in us before we can participate in any external change in the system? What does God need to change in us inwardly before we can change outwardly?
That's where we go back to Matthew 5.43. You've heard it said. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and, listen to this, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be your children, may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. What does God need to change us? God needs to create in us a heart to pray for our enemies. If we left here today just praying for our enemies, I'd be like, all right, Lord, I'm good. You got this. Take it from here. Take it from here. Because as we pray for any enemies, God forms in us a love for enemies, a love for Russia, a love for Ukraine, a love for Muslims and other worldviews, a love for for the left, a love for the right, a love for Biden or Trump or the the bully or the cruel boss or the estranged friend, the rebellious child, the stubborn spouse. We pray for our enemies. We have a love for the strangers across the border and the neighbors across the street. Prayer is a very good, actionable next step. And pray changes us. Prayer changes us as we pray for others. So what is our prayer? What is our prayer? I actually think our passage gives us some helpful handholds that will not only help us pray for our enemies and tell us what to pray, but birth in us a desire to pray for them. So let's honor, let's honor God's word by unpacking it a bit. Again, the new question today is, what does God need to change in us before we can participate in any change in the system, any external change? Well, God needs to create in us a heart to pray for our enemies. So what is our prayer? I believe... What are we, what was Water's Edge asking God for to do, God to do in us today? The first thing is we pray, pray, Lord, you love me. Help me see this person as an image bearer and help them see me as your image bearer. To be an image bearer means to be made in the image of God, to be made with honor, to be made sacred, which in, in turn means we respect one another and offer each other mutual dignity. Matthew 5.45 says we pray for enemies that, that we may be children of our Father in heaven. Matthew 5.9 says blessed are the peacemakers for they'll be called children of God. The point is being made is that to be made in the image of God is to, in Christ, become a child of God. Those passages are clear, but I think there's even something more beautiful if we look at the first paragraph today when Jesus says, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Do not resist him. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. It's Matthew 5.39. Contextually, to be struck on the cheek was to be struck on the right cheek with somebody's backhand of their right hand. So to be struck on the right cheek, to be backhanded by their right hand on your right cheek. And when you're backhanded like that, it's not only about violence, it's an insult because you're the implication is that you're inferior. You're perhaps a slave, you're an oppressed person, you're a child, you're a woman. And to hit uh, back then, to hit back, if somebody backhands you with their right hand on your right cheek, to hit them back only keeps this evil in circulation. Offering the other cheek, however, does something radically different. It implies you hit me again, but not hit me as an inferior, but hit me as an equal. And why is that? Well, if you ask them to hit them on your left cheek, 
you're asking them to hit them with their open palm of the right hand. It does two things. One, hopefully, it wakes them up to the wrongness of the act. It leaves them wondering, even by the question, I want you to strike my left cheek. I need you to like to wake up to what they're doing. They're creating an inferiority superiority system. And if they're not awake to that, it at least does this. It makes them look you in the eyes because they have to now turn, look you in the eyes, and come back across your face to hit you in the eyes. They have to see you face to face, not as an inferior, but as an equal, to see the person they're hitting. Lord, help me to see this person as an image bearer and help them to see me as an image bearer. They have to face you face to face. When you have an enemy, our instinct is to resist them. As the scripture says, or to avoid them or to write them off. A lot of times completely. And Jesus is telling us not to do this. He's calling us to engage them and hopefully to lead in our prayers. Hopefully this will lead to strong and still humble interactions. Now, I watched a clip of Mike Tyson the other day. Uh, this is a clip of him in these recent years. He's an older man now. And if you don't know Mike Tyson, he was a heavyweight boxing championship, heavyweight boxing champion of the world in, in the 80s and early 90s. And he was big. He was big. I mean, Nintendo had a game about him. Will Smith rapped about him. Um, and think what you may about Mike. He's had his struggles and mistakes. He's dealt with domestic violence, uh, some... I guess alleged cheating. He did bite off Evander Holyfield's ear. And he's he's also had his own struggles. He lost his daughter, a four-year-old, through a tragic, heartbreaking accident. And either way, think what you might think about him. He's trying, even if imperfectly, to help others on their own journey with anger and be a voice for those who have common pursuits like his. He's trying to help others along the way. And there's a clip of him coaching a young man who's likely a, fire, a fighter. And the young person says that someone fairly close to him did him wrong. Because of this, this young person said he's going to write that person off. I'm done with that person. And in that moment, Tyson boldly and still humbly coached him to not do that, saying something along the lines of, the very moment you write someone off, that person becomes your master. Because you want to run, that person has a power over you that is not truly theirs. We shouldn't run from that person. You need to face them. Now, as we consider that, I think there's some sage advice in that. That we don't need to run from them because we give them a power that they've never had. Instead of running away, may we look our enemies in our eyes and see a person much like yourself. See someone who feels what we feel, alone, tired, rejected, struggling, struggling, and very likely overcompensating with a false sense of superiority. The same superiority we feel when we label them as an enemy. We see this person who's hurt and hurting people. We, somewhat, we see someone who's been indoctrinated into a system of hierarchy that tries to gain ground by crushing your enemies. And the system is traumatizing because it says crush or be crushed. And if you're not crushing, the system will crush you. And Jesus' patient love changes this system. It's born out of patient prayer, which uproots this false hierarchy 
of hurting people or hurt people. But it starts with us praying, Lord, praying. You love me. I know you love me. Help me to see this person as an image bearer. And help them to see me, Lord, if you can, as an image bearer. But Lord, whether or not they see me as an image bearer, I want to see them as an image bearer. That's the first prayer that we can pray. The second prayer is, Lord, help. You love me. Lord, you love me. Always start with from that. Help me let go of what I claim is mine. Help me to let go of what I believe is mine, whether it's my accomplishments, my possessions, my position, my territory. Lord, I want to let it go. Matthew 5.40 says, And if anybody wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, unlike many of us, unlike all of us really, those in Jesus' day were so poor they had nothing but their clothes. Some had homes, but a lot of them were taxed into slavery. And when they needed to borrow money, which would be from the rich, the wealthy among them, they would use their clothes as collateral. And the most common being this tunic. And this is the garment over their skin. This is not necessarily an outward code. The wealthy lender, this is like their, essentially like their long underwear. The wealthy lender at any moment can ask for the money to be repaid at any time. And the person didn't have the money, the lender could keep the tunic, leaving the poor person just with their external cloak. Exodus 22 prohibited anybody from taking their outer cloak, and yet Jesus says, no, give them, give it to them freely. Give them their outer cloak. What, is, what does this kind of response evoke? Well, it does two things. One, it, and this is main, it shows a heart that's free. It shows vigorous generosity. That's, that's primary. And secondly, it also, in the case of these who are poor, it certainly shows your nudity in front of someone. Visually, you would be naked. And your nudity would shame overs over your own impoverished nakedness. In Jesus' day, it's saying that the rich are reducing the poor to a state of shame. It's a statement of justice and injustice, really. Because we're not poor, and each of us are not, despite what you might think, we are uh, the wealthiest the wealthiest in the world. We're rich. Our call is to live generously. Spiritually, this means letting go of our possessions as well as our accolades and our achievements. In God's sovereignty, we've received opportunities that others have not. And when we, in our territorialism, try to fight for what we believe is ours, we miss the truth that we were given everything that we have. We were given everything that we have. And therefore, we can give it away freely. And if we don't do that, we, we live in misery. And you can hear that sermon in two weeks from now. In short, when your enemy claims that something is his or hers, give it away freely. And you're actually giving them a glimpse of something that they've always longed for. True freedom. We don't need our territories, our positions, our possessions and our accolades. We have Jesus. There's nothing we truly need other than God. And so we can give freely. Now, in our minds, especially where we live, many of our enemies are, are, are our competition. When you are at the quote-unquote top echelon of those who are wealthy, a lot of your enemies can be your competition. And the church world is unfortunately uh, very competitive. A lot of times when we look at other churches, we can think through who, who has better programs or 
better gatherings, better bands, better numbers, better people, like more people, larger budgets, more staff, programs. There's a lot of competition that can happen within church circles, unfortunately. It demonstrates that we have a lot of room to grow, but has led to a lot of division, a lot of gossip in the past. And I'm not excluded from these types of toxic thoughts. I'm aware of them for the most part, but I'm not excluded from them. If you don't know it, we are actually meeting in a chapel that belongs to another church, Light Church, which is a great church. I love them. Pastor Benji Horning and his wife, Jen Horning, his co-lead, planted Light Church essentially at the same time where in my previous role, we at Flood North County moved from an evening gathering and, and essentially planted to a morning gathering as a campus of Flood Church. By the way, Flood Church just started their building today. They're in their, their, their building that they've been working towards for 17 years. I will say that we've been working towards for 17 years. I'm so glad for them. I pray a blessing over them. So back from Flood Church to Light Church. They started their gathering Meeting this chapel the same time we started meeting at La Paloma Movie Theater, which I had dreamt about meeting in for years as a night gathering. I've been talking to Alan there for about two and a, two years, maybe a little less, about meeting there. And um, Light Church, again, is an awesome church. They've stepped into so many kingdom opportunities. And God's grace is with them. They are anointed with great leadership. And because of that, they've, they have grown in numbers and they have grown in depth. And I say that freely because I love them and I love our church. I really love this church. It's the best church I've ever participated in. I'm having the most fun. Uh, I've sensed just God's joy and pleasure and mission more now than I've ever felt that. Um, I love the leadership here. I think God's doing wonderful work in and through this community as we've committed to a new way of being a church in a very difficult and divisive world. I mean, even this week, it's just been a great week. I got to have a dinner, really great food with uh, a few people who, who are somewhat interested in Jesus, but were willing to talk about that. I got to meet with men in the morning and talk about what it means to honor women, what it means to honor them and to honor uh, ourselves. I, I got to held a boy, a safe family child. I got to hold him this week. A kid who stayed with us for a few weeks just to see him and hold him. Communicate love with this kid. I got yesterday to spend time with Jesus and other people, other men in our church to get a silent morning away. I love what God's doing in this space. That said, for a few years, I had a lot of envy for Light Church. I did. I, I had envy in me. I envied um, just a lot of things that I've mentioned before. And there's details I can go in, but those details aren't healthy. I realized that through that envy, I, I was creating it and even participating in toxic tapes, if only in my mind. And I knew in that moment that I needed to pray for them, to pray for them. And I used to ride my bike. I don't know if people remember when we met in La Paloma. Uh, someone else would drive the van and I would ride my bike to work. It was just a great opportunity to move my body. And I would detour around 3rd Street as an opportunity just to pray for them, just to pray over that church and hopefully to say hi to Benji. He and I have met a few times. Great guy. 
And I think what's beautiful about that is um, when the pandemic hit in uh, March of 2020, right before that weekend where everything was shutting down, Benji and I had coffee at Pete's on Encinitas Boulevard. And he mentioned to me about this opportunity of like swapping spaces. Now, mind you, this was before the pandemic. This was before the year that we spent on the beach. A little less than a year, but yeah, it was about a year we spent on the beach. And uh, he said, hey, what do you think about trading spots? And I, um, in that moment, though I've been praying for them, I was really defensive. I, I had no vision of what that could look like. And... Uh, yeah, I, I just talked to him. I, I had my apprehensions there and my fears. But what happened, not in that moment, but as because of the pandemic, is that he and I became, I think, pandemic pals. We became friends. We just kept in touch. We kept texting one another. I, I would pray for them as I continued to pray for them. And we would text back and forth. I mean, this is just a recent text you'll see on the screen. This is from like two days ago, but this is the kind of relationship we have. I love you. You love me. I love having that relationship with him. I love him. I love their church. And I love how God, through his grace and his sovereignty, orchestrated this church plant and this opportunity to meet in this space. And for them to meet in La Paloma, which does make sense for them. It makes so much sense. And I love how bright this space is and that we can see each other and how it fosters really close relations. I mean, God is so good. So good that he can turn a competition into family like that. But I believe it begins with prayer. And part of that prayer is praying that we let go of what we believe is our territory. See where God will lead us next. Lord Jesus, you love me. Let me let go of what I claim is mine. The last prayer is simply this. What are we asking to do in us? Ultimately, we're praying, Lord Jesus, you love me. Help me to serve you. Help me to serve you, God, by serving my enemy. Help me to serve you by serving my enemy. The next two verses in that first paragraph of the clinchers, Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. In the former case, this is contextually about a Roman soldier who had the legal right to make a Jewish person carry their stuff for a mile. In the latter case, Jesus is telling us to remember the destitute. He's telling his people to remember the destitute, those who are even worse off than his audience. Serve the enemies above us, serve the poor below you, because no one is above you and no one's below you. There's so much more I could say about that, but essentially Jesus is telling us to go the extra mile when it comes to serving others. This means to not just serve reactively, but to proactively go out of our way to serve our enemies. When someone comes to our mind that we have dissonance or distance or division, when somebody comes to mind who's our competition or just a tough person, when someone who's an enemy comes to our mind that we would think this is an opportunity for me to serve them and to pray for a way that you can do that. Whether it's your spouse, your boss, your competition or your enemy, ask God for a creative way to show them love. This helps us instead of filling our mind with revenge, to fill our mind with Jesus, who wants to serve your enemy. Jesus wants to serve them. He's come. That's the way he's come, is to serve us humbly and boldly. When Jesus says to love your enemy, this is not a happy-go-lucky feeling type of love. This is agape love. Agape means to will the good of the other. It's volitional. 
It's not emotional. It's volitional. It's a choice. And this type of love, when we continue to choose and choose, that's rooted in the prayer, that's rooted in the love of God, this type of love matures us. That's why Jesus says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This perfection is not an outward performance. It's about an inward reality. It's about this inward wholeness. That word perfect is the Greek teleos, which means mature, whole. It's about spiritual maturity. When we fill our lives with prayer and fill our lives with God's love that, and then fill our lives to choose to love others, we become mature. We become more whole inwardly and we're able to step out outwardly into the life that God has for us, a life of loving our enemies. So we had that prayer parent share in the beginning. I want us to prayer prayer pair again. Did I say that right? To prayer, pair, and pray again. Prayer, pair, and prayer. We're going to take time to get together with others and pray for an enemy. Pray for a competition. Pray for a difficult person. And you, as you have, can share as little as much as you can. And I'd love for you to get with the people that you were with in the beginning. Just to take a moment and you're going to pray for them. You're going to say, hey, I'm struggling with my friend. And so I'm going to take a moment to pray for that person. And then you'll create space for somebody else who shared about someone that they've villainized or made an enemy, and they're going to pray for that person. And this may be a little uncomfortable, but I mean, <laughs> if you came to church and you've already <laughs> prayed for your enemies, I feel like we've done something right. So let's create a moment to pray for our enemies. I'll create a little space for those listening online. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we consider that, when we consider all what Jesus stated, it's, it's good and right to pay to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Not only can we do these things, we can't do these things without Jesus, but Jesus has already done these things. Jesus has already done this. And Romans 5.8 says that we are to love our enemies. Well, that's not That's <laughs> Jesus says we're to love our enemies. Romans 5.8 says this. But God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we are sinners, Christ died for us. And look at this, verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we are reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? How much more shall we be saved for his life, saved for a purpose? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We are reconciled today because of the blood of Jesus. These words are all about Jesus, what Jesus has done and what Jesus can do in us. But we have to remember what Jesus has done. Not only was he slapped, but he was beaten and tortured before he was carried before he carried a large cross of lumber on his back. Not only did he give up his tunic and his outer coat, but he was stripped naked on that cross. Jesus was willing to go the extra mile to, to walk the Via Dolorosa, the, the way of the cross, the sorrowful way, so that we, through his servant leadership, could walk in him, to walk in his ways, to receive the life that he has for us. 
to receive the love that he has for us. We can't love this way without Jesus' love. We can't even know this kind of love without knowing Jesus. But as a response of Jesus' love and through the power of the Holy Spirit that is alive and active in this room, we invite you in, Lord. We begin, we can begin to pray, God, help me to love my enemies and be changed as a result of that prayer. It all starts with Jesus. This is who Jesus is. The very first thing you need to do is look at the life of Jesus to begin to love your enemies. Do that. I mean, some people here might think Jesus is the enemy or the church is the enemy. Look at his life. I mean, each and every week, my goal here is that you would love Jesus more. I want to ask you a question. What have you learned this week that has caused you to love Jesus more? Jesus is the lover of all people. All people. And through him, we can learn to be the lover of all people. The pray begins with praying for those who are enemies, those who are persecuting us. Praise for those we want to persecute, those we demonize, those we want to run off. Lord of the cross, help me. So our next steps today are to pray for fill in the blank. Just to pray, to commit to praying. And then as a response to that, and maybe you just need to do step one, that's fine. But two is to choose a way to love, to serve when your mind ruminates on this person or persons. And then if you want to get ahead on next week to read Matthew 6, 1 through 18. We do it in Christ. We love God and others in Christ. That's the whole vision. So in that vision, let's pray together. Lord, I pray for those who are hearing this message right now that we experience you, God, the one who is free to be hit, the one who is free to be naked and ashamed, the one who always goes the extra mile to serve and love us. And Lord, forgive us for the times that we have hurt others, that we've hurt you. And when we hurt others, we hurt you, Lord. Well, Lord, I pray for anybody who's listening right now that they, they would know that they're loved regardless of their actions, that they may feel like your enemy, that you love them intensely, here and forevermore. I pray that they would give their lives to you, Lord. I pray that all of us would give our lives to you. God of the cross, God who made a way, a path for us forward, Lord, we give you our lives, and as a result, we love the lives around us. But maybe we just need to stop and give you our life right now. If anybody feels this, like that's the call, say, yeah, Jesus, I need you. I love you. I know that I perpetuated this system. Forgive me, God. Change me, God. Hold me, God. Love me, God. I want to be your child. I am made in your image. Make me your child, Jesus. Lord God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.